Tonight we're going to talk on perspectives or the angle in which you see the world. And it's funny how, depending on what your perspective is in life, will depend on how well you do. And everyone in here has different perspectives. So, it's funny how much your perspective changes things. Like, you can have a day and you can have a perspective on it and think, that went horrible, that was rotten. Or you can have God give you a little bit of a shift in a perspective and it'll change how that day is. So, isn't it interesting to think that perspective could actually change reality? It can make a shift in it. Well, you're especially going to need it because tonight's theme is going to be on how do we prepare ourselves for instability. How do we prepare ourselves in our daily life when we have a rotten day? (laughs) How do we prepare ourselves for instability as times get harder? How do we prepare ourselves for instability in the end days? These are all interesting questions. So we're looking at it, just everything from how you're doing in your daily life. Like, do you handle this well? Because if you don't handle it well there, you might have a problem over here. Because have you noticed things are getting a little crazy out there? I mean, it's like, come in here where the fire's warm and there's food because things out there on the streets are getting a little more bizarre as we speak. So that's what I was going to tell you is perspective has a lot to do with it. And if you can shift reality with perspective, then you better do it. We're going to look into this. So the answer to preparing yourself for instability, the short answer is perspective is everything. So I want you to think, can you shift it? Can you shift your perspective? Can you choose your perspective? Can you believe it in? Can you choose to have faith for it? Like, how do you get a perspective change? Like, if you think, oh, mine is terrible. Theirs is so much better. How do you switch? Is that faith that does it? Is it just, okay, I'm going to choose to have a different perspective. Were you born with your perspective? Did you develop your perspective? Is this the chicken or is this the egg? Or who? I mean, how did this come about in this? Okay, I'm going to start you out and let's just see how you fare and kind of give you a test tonight, write some questions down and give yourself some room for improvement. Because tonight is very important if we're going to actually prepare you for living in unstable times. How do we prepare ourselves for instability? Living in unstable times. Okay, I'm going to give you something that shocks me. If I was going to tell you, there's a book in the Bible that teaches you how to overcome. This is not the book I would have thought would have had it in there. Can you guess which book I'm going to choose from to say, this is the book that tells you to be an overcomer? You're not going to believe it till you look up these verses yourself. (laughs) To him who overcomes in the worst of times... Okay, this book is not my favorite book for light reading. They have to tell you that you get a blessing for reading it or you would never pick the book up. It reminds me of the bedtime stories I used to tell Sam right before she'd go to sleep. You know, it's just, I tell her about some gruesome kidnapping or something terrible I'd seen on the mission field bleeding or, you know, something like that. This is that book. So when you think about it, I think in terms of what this describes in the book when it says one third of the earth will be shaken and dead and all this. I'm thinking, survive it. Just make it through. Can you make it through these times we're living in? That is not what this book says. In fact, it tells you in the beginning of the book what it wants from you. So in Revelation 2 verse 6, tell me if I'm not lying to you. This is the worst book of the woes. The woes. You know when Jesus said, Woe be unto you. Woe be unto you if you're a Pharisee. Woe be unto you. This is the book of woes. So in Revelation, it says, To him who overcomes. Overcomes. Do you know what's our word for Nike? That word in the Greek is overcomer. It's somebody who goes above and beyond. I'll have to tell you a joke. You know in Romans 8 where it says, you know, that someone is supposed to be an overcomer. But then in Romans 8 it says that you're more than an overcomer, more than a conqueror. Let me give you an illustration. A man gets out there. He has a superior mind. 
He's able to do great business. He can accomplish anything, and he brings home a huge paycheck. That man is an overcomer. He far exceeds any other guy. He makes more money than anyone else. He may even tell me how many zeros he brought in this month. But his wife reaches over, she grabs the paycheck, and she puts it in her pocket. Now that, my friend, is more than an overcomer. <laughs> you will marry one of those. <laughs> so Jesus did the hard part for us, and he overcame. <laughs> but he made us more than conquerors, more than overcomers. This is not the message you would expect in Revelation. But look at this, y'all. I'm not lying to you. Revelation 2, to him who overcomes, to him who overcomes, to him who overcomes. Revelation 3, to him who overcomes, to him who overcomes, to him who overcomes. Seven times. Do you think it's in there? Why do we not ever hear this preached? Never, 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 never. I wrote these down. I thought, this is genius that it tells you in front of the book that's the hardest that the expectation for you is an expectation to overcome and not to just survive. Well, my friend, let me tell you, if you're going to overcome, you need to start now. Because a lot of times we're just barely making it. <laughs> like at the end of some days or some events, I write, survived. I have the t-shirt, been there, survived it. You know, like you have certain things that you feel like you overcome, and that's something that kicks in with the Lord, where you go to a different dimension, and it will take a perspective shift. So, Revelations 2.6, Revelations 2.10, Revelation 2.13, Revelation 3.2, Revelation 3.8. I'm going to give you a little hint. They said they can tell if you've been learned in school, if you got an education that if you'll say Revelation and not put an S on it, because people that put an S on it haven't been to seminary. Okay, so Revelation 2, verse 6. And it tells you that to him who overcomes. All right, so part of this is the perseverance of not quitting, the enduring, the maintaining. A lot of times during this, you have people, and you've experienced it yourself, where they have high highs. Have you ever met someone that's extremely emotional, one end to the other? It's the up and down, all over the place. Like you're bipolar spiritually. You go emotionally all, all up and down the scale. If that's you right now, our training is to get you to the next label. Label. <laughs> Level, <laughs> where you're stable. That's where that came from. All right, so we're going to get you to the next level where you are stable. That's our goal. If you're one of those that literally you can't predict how your emotions will be, that you're emotionally just, you can't get it together, this is your training for tonight. This will get you solid. When there's chaos and instability, all around you where they're screaming and writing. Y'all, where the Bible says that this is going to be the worst that has ever befallen anyone on earth, that if the days weren't cut short, that even the very chosen people would not make it. If you were thinking that the deception is going to be so rampant that almost everyone would be deceived, it's going to get so bad that people are going to be having heart attacks all over the place because their hearts can't withstand the pressure coming on the earth. Y'all, it's time to start overcoming. <laughs> it's time to start studying how to bring stability to get you solid, to get you where you're not all over the place. Now is the time to overcome so that then you'll do a very good job. We are living in times of chaos and crisis. So the first thing that you're going to be looking for is God's hand in the midst of it. You're going to be trying to pull that gold out of the situation, looking for what God is doing. And then you're going to be developing something. This is the biggest thing you need to work out with God, and that's your trust walk. That every day you get up and say, I'm going to walk in trust today. I'm going to walk by faith. I'm going to walk my faith out. And in the face of great evil, I'm going to develop a trust in God. So this needs to be something that you're consciously thinking. I'm 
choosing to trust God in this particular situation. I'm bringing trust into it. This gets you solid. And then we're going to throw you something that makes life fun. Something that only, only God could think of doing, and only God could do it. And this is what I think makes God so Jewish. Not only is it a trust walk, and not only does he give you perseverance, and not only does he give you stability, but he gives us this one thing that kind of blows our mind as Gentiles. It kind of blows our mind when we have a religious mindset. It kind of blows our mind if you ever see one happen, and it's a miracle. Can you believe that God invaded the Bible and he put miracles in there? I mean, you can hardly flip a page without seeing miracle, miracle, miracle. I mean, he doesn't just make it normal and say, the children of Israel, they got to the Red Sea. They had this engineer. He built this bridge. It was a very good bridge. They got across the... I mean, what does God do? He does miracle. And it's last-minute miracles. As I quote dear Jimmy Lau, it's like being pushed out of a 24-foot building and God catches you on the second floor. It's miracles. So in the midst of this chaos and in the midst of the stability and the perseverance you have to have, God interjects something called miracles. How can we tap into them? Well, it says that when times get really rough and where sin and darkness really abounds, their grace abounds much more. We're set up for more miracles in times of chaos. We're set up for more miracles in troubled times. That's why the Bible says in the first days, in the beginning days of the end, that there'll be a former rain, but it says it'll even be greater. It'll be a better outpouring in the latter rain. So the book of Acts was incredible. I mean, have you ever taken time to read Acts? Read Acts again. I mean, every page is miracles, miracles, miracles. Like the latter rain. It gets increasingly better. The prophets prophesied. So what God was doing in Acts, he's going to start doing again as the time gets very dark. Because miracles point to God. There's something that's supposed to cause belief in you. We're going to look at a story tonight, and, and they're created to help you trust God more. So don't be afraid of them. Because it's actually prophesied that this will be part of the outpouring. And God loves to intervene in our lives. You know, I'll not forget the cop that about a month ago where God did something so spectacular. He had lost faith in the Lord. And then something terrible he had seen. And he said, I've never gotten to be a part of a miracle before. I've never been a part of a miracle. Y'all, being... In God's story is being part of a miracle. I mean, you look at it. The resurrection is a miracle. Every part of it. If God's going to do that, how much more will he do what you need for your life? So, when you're needing food, when you lost your job, when you're scared out of your mind, you need protection, you're thinking about buying more ammunition, Where's the food? Where's the Armageddon supply? When I'm out at Sam, she goes, you're in my Armageddon shelves. In the face of great evil, it takes something extreme on God's side. It takes something unique on God's side. It's walking in this flow, walking in this trust, and I'm encouraging develop this walk with God. You can walk in the land of the miraculous. You can walk in this area where God is uniquely involved in your life. Develop this walk. Are you able to trust God during difficult times and believing for miracles? I want you to take a look at 1 Kings 17 and 2 through 6, and you can read this tonight, but Elijah, his prophet, was living in the midst of a famine. And if you've ever been anywhere where there's no water and no food, It's a terrible thing seeing people die all the way around you. And in the midst of the famine, look what God says in 1 Kings 17. He tells Elijah, I have commanded the birds to feed you. Now that's unusual. I have never had a bird swoop down and give me food. And what's unusual about that, most of the time the birds are getting on my picnic table eating my food, not bringing me food. How did God talk these birds into not swallowing it? I don't know. 
But the birds would bring Elijah bread and meat in the morning and in the evening. And he drank from the brook. So when everyone else has no water and no food, God commanded a raven. Did you know the first part of your life that God will command a raven to take care of you? David says in the Psalms, it was so beautiful, he says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging bread. That you have to believe that God would even command the birds. I just hope yours isn't a vulture. I mean, I hope they're not the one brand, but I mean, beggars can't be, yeah. So when it's one way for other people, it's going to be different for you. Elijah's was different. He loved God. He trusted God. He developed a walk with God. God wasn't being put on the test with this. God was taking care of his man. And so I want to give you a little hint. Revelation tells you. And I want you to look this up in the New American Standard Bible. But it tells you that you will be kept from the hour of testing. Now, that's a promise you need to know where it is in your Bible. In Revelation 3, verse 10, it tells you that there's an hour of testing about to come on the whole earth. And he says, and you'll be kept from the hour of testing. That's a promise you need to agree with, believe for. And it says the reason you'll be kept from the hour of testing, which is the Pierzo, temptations, testings, trials, the entire what Revelation is going to talk about, it's telling you you'll be kept from the hour of testing because you have what? Mm-hmm. You keep my command to persevere. I would invite you to know what that means since that's what keeps you. (laughs) Kept the word of my perseverance and I'll keep you. If you keep this, I'll keep you. It's a good trade-off here. You keep this, I'll keep you. Just like Elijah, being kept, being protected. That tribulation and all that's coming on the world, it's not meant for you. It's meant for the greatest harvest ever. It's meant for that time. It's meant, it's meant for men everywhere to repent and to acknowledge God. So during this time, there's going to be an hour of testing, and you will be kept by the word of the perseverance. You'll be kept from the hour of testing that's coming on the whole world, on everyone else. Okay, so let's talk about it. Because let's see what it takes to get there. There is a perspective to this perspective. As someone quoted to me yesterday, there's terrible, tumultuous, tensions filled times coming towards us. But we will go into the miraculous. The miracles will increase. Did I not hear that word yesterday? That we will move from perspective to perspective, from terrible tension, tumultuous times to, say it, Yeah, miraculous. That we will move from the tension to the miracles. They'll increase. From surviving to overcoming. Complete perspective switches. This is the one that I tell you, if you don't do this, I don't want you to get married. If you don't do this one, don't get married. You got to be able to switch out your thoughts. That you got to be able to exchange your thoughts. That you are able to take captive any thought that goes against the knowledge of Christ. Because a thought will come to you, I don't love them anymore. A thought will come to you, I can't believe they're doing this to me. I mean, these thoughts come to you, and you've got to be able to switch them. Thoughts come to you against people that love you. Thoughts come to you, they're constantly negative. Like I told you when I was working to hear God, my mind was racing and screaming on hearing God. So you've got to switch from hearing God... You've got to switch from your crazy thoughts to what God said. You've got to make a switch. The first thing I had to do was get my mind peaceful. Can you get yourself peaceful? Are you one of those people that you can't sleep because you never can get peace in your mind? Can you at times when your head's going crazy, screaming failure, fear of the future, this is what's going to happen to you, the devil has your paintbrush 
of your future in his hands and he's telling you this is what it's going to look like in your life this is how you're going to end up can you switch your thoughts where you take a crazy thought and you switch it to what God said about your life behold I planned a future and a hope can you switch over to those promises that God has made to you when you're shaking with fear when everybody's turned against you, when they're all thinking, we're going to just stone David. That's the best idea. It's just to get rid of the leader. When everything is just disastrous, and then they just add one more layer to it, can you strengthen yourself in the Lord? Because in ministry, if you haven't learned to strengthen yourself in the Lord, you won't make it. There's going to come a time. There's going to come a moment when no one will encourage you. You have got to be able to do it yourself. You've got to encourage yourself in the Lord. I don't know what happens, but it jams like that occasionally. And there's no one left. Even the most encouraging Barnabas in your life will not be encouraging you during that time. And you must be able to make this switch. It's a perspective switch. And you've got to go from what people are saying about you to what God's saying about you. I'm talking even godly people can say not quite the best of of things. And you've got to switch to what God's saying to you. Listen to this one. Can you think give when everyone else is thinking, I'm so afraid I'm not going to have enough? Can you switch into, okay, I'll give, I'll sow, I'll plant. When everyone else is paralyzed, afraid. From listening to what the enemy is whispering in your ear to quoting with your own lips what the Word of God says. From suffering under a spirit that is telling you every negative thing to flipping over and using your authority in that wonderful name of Jesus. From waiting to see what happens to making things happen. There's two types of people, some who watch what happens and some who make things happen. From being a follower to a leader. The best ideal needs to win. It needs to be the one that gets done. Worldly or natural minded people come your way, not you going their way. When there's a worldly person or a natural person, you need to influence them. That's why most people can't even go to a bar and witness because they'll join in. (laughs) They look just like them. (laughs) That's funny. Peer pressure. That's why he sent us out in twos. Because most of the time under that influence, for some reason people get sick when exposed to sickness rather than why does it not work when a sick person is exposed to someone that's well that health doesn't jump off on them? (laughs) How come it goes that way? I've been up to a very, very healthy person. How come their health doesn't jump back? But boy, if they sneeze all over me, I'm thinking, parted my hair. Okay, so it's the ability for you to be the one who sets the pace, to be a leader, where you lay down what God says, that you have strength for them, from being a victim to a person who helps other people get out of their mess. Some people are perpetual victims. They started a need and they will continue their life in that great need. They won't ever move to faith because their need is what gets them attention. So moving from all these crazy ideals of surviving to overcoming, it's a complete perspective shift. Everyone around you is shaking And I'm going to ask you, can you make this shift? While everyone else is watching the news, (laughs) panicking over the news, can you make a shift inside of you that suddenly that peace is on the inside of you? And you can also speak peace to the storm and it go around you. Like, you know, when the Lord said that I will keep you from the hour of testing, it reminds you of the land of Goshen being at peace when the death angel flew over. You remember that, that the word that God gave, it's so unusual the word he gave. He said it will be so peaceful in the land of Goshen that not even the dogs will bark. It won't even stir the dogs up. So if the dogs are yapping all the time, you've got a, something passing over. <laughs> 
But I'm saying he's given us that possibility of peace, of bringing heaven to earth, of miracles. So the challenge is, is how to stay stable or how to get stable before you get into crazy situations or crazy times. It's now that you need to become stable, get roots, have that strength. One man told me the one way you're going to make it in ministry is if you have personal inner strength. I know the word of God. You know the word of God. I have authority. You have authority. But that doesn't mean we'll make it. There's something in you that has to kick in and lay hold of the promises of God. You've got to grab them. In unstable times, you must grab them. So this is your training exercise tonight. It's your challenge. So you are the most unlikeliest to do well during this time. If you're that person where you're the most unlikely to make it, guess what? You might make it. For instance, myself. I was um, got some seven free tickets on an airline. So I had to use them up. They were about to expire. They had traded me out. And so we just looked and saw how far can we fly. So we flew all over the place to Hot Springs, Arkansas, and all kinds of different places. Spent a day here and a day there. We were kind of hopping around. The only problem was it was a little plane. And little planes going through big storms are fun when you see the lightning hitting all around you and, and the planes going like this and the mayor gets up and goes to the tail of the plane. And So anyway, that was the ride we were on. But nothing prepared me for the last flight out of Hot Springs, Arkansas. I don't know who they got as their pilot, but it was a little plane and he was crazy flying. He did not bother to take off. I don't know what he thought he was flying, but he went straight up. I mean, everything in the plane fell to the tail. People were screaming, and the person next to me loved to fly. He was beside me, and I'll tell you, I don't like flying. I never have liked it. It's an obedience thing for me. If I'm called to all these different places in the world, I've got to fly. So. I have had to very much put the word into practice in my life to do as much flying as I've flown. So you can imagine what I felt like when this guy went straight up and then he decided to tilt it. He was doing, I've never seen a guy do anything like that. So the person who sits beside me who loves to fly is airsick. <laughs> and they're looking at me and they go, Angie, how come you're okay? I wasn't holding on with a white knuckle grip. I wasn't grabbing hold of anything. They are out of control going, something's wrong with this guy. He's on cocaine. He's, he's something. There's something going on in the cockpit. I mean, I go, we're going up. We're not going down. He goes, why are you okay? He goes, you hate flying. And I'm smiling. And I'm enjoying this maniac's pilot's madness. And he goes, what has gotten a hold of you? Well, I didn't tell him my secret its perspective. I knew within five minutes of that <laughs> takeoff, I wasn't going to live through this experience. <laughs> and I thought, you've just got to change perspective or you're going to look like a blooming idiot, like everyone else around me who liked to fly. And I told myself, bless that guy in the cockpit. Here I was in Iraq, and I had all these guys chasing me with machine guns. And I had just barely made it as this guy had swooped in. And he had rescued me and put me on the plane. And as everybody's firing their RPGs at me, he has taken me straight up to get me out of their line of fire. And I'm sitting there smiling because I'm like, that sweet man, he's rescued me. <laughs> when I got home, I told myself a different story. That was never used to free tickets again. <laughs> and so the person behind me was like, wow, you were so spiritual. I said, yes. <laughs> but in my mind, I had just made a dramatic escape out of the Middle East. And I was wanting to thank this man for saving my life. There, there's no use for a man to fly like that in civilian <laughs> aircraft or during peacetime. But if you just change your perspective, everything's fine. And I was totally okay with it. In fact, I was laughing. I thought it was funny. Because I just, I told myself, I said, I can't even look out the window. Look at me. And what I was telling myself is, look at those people shooting at me. Because that's the only thing that made this make sense. Perspective. 
Now, on changing your perspective, this really isn't about deceiving yourself <laughs> or not accepting reality. But my little perspective trick can get you out of an immediate situation. It can, but not long term. I've told you something I didn't tell anyone else what I had done. It won't last because you'll be clinical if you keep that kind of thinking up. <laughs> it's funny, once if I kept that up, you would wonder about me. However, lying to yourself will get you killed. Ignoring it delays the problem. You must face the truth and have proper perspective. Now, I'm going to tell you this work. You know, in all my interviewing of people uh, in military conditions, there was this lady, and she lost her son in Korea. And she did something with her mind, and she switched a switch. She flipped a switch, and she decided to go on with life. But she would never tell herself he's dead. She would just tell herself he's still over there fighting. Yeah. It's not quite right, but it's how she made it. It's how she kept going on with life. It's not healed. It's surviving. It was a way to go on because she said, what's the difference? A ways away. And that's what she did. How do you do a lasting perspective change? A genuine shift. Now, mine is really funny. Mine is temporary. But tonight, I'm talking about a real shift in your perspective where things change. One thing that has to change is your motives. Why are you doing it? Are you doing it to for people-pleasing? What's the reason that you want a perspective change? There's two different points of view, and I want you to know that people around you will think differently than you think. For instance, <clears throat> at Target, a long time ago, I had, uh, before the boycott, I uh, had got some uh, customer service. I was in line at customer service. And in Austin, I took this bag of stuff from Target up to the people in customer service, and I said, uh, can I get this exchanged? And they said, this isn't from our store. So I tried it again in Abilene, and they go, this isn't from our store. And it was bought from them. But I noticed a difference. That was the customer service line. At the checkout line, I had the bag, and they looked at my bag, and they said, this is our stuff. This is our brand. You must pay for it. Now, I had brought it into the store to get my money back, and they said, it's not mine. So let me tell you, why did the customer service line and the checkout line have two different views? <laughs> because one had to give me my money back, and the other one thought I was stealing. It's perspective. And people have different motives. And the motives change things. And so the same bag, the same store, had two different sets of motives. One person wanted my money, and the other one didn't want to give me any money. So they had two different stories. Let me tell you, this is about your life. Your motives will mean everything in your perspective. You can't cheat on them. You're going to have to go through what they, we call a sellout around here. That's where you sell out to God. Some of you have delayed it to the last moment possible to sell out to God. <clears throat> no one wants to comment. Okay, some of you have delayed it and still have not sold out. And tonight is our altar call for sellout. That you must sell out. You know, in Luke 15, 17, it's what happened to the prodigal. You're a young person with a perspective, and it has to change. And when you come to your senses, you realize your dad has his best plan in mind. It says the guy woke up to reality. He came to his senses and he had a thought. And the perspective is the guy went from selfishness to what his father wanted. It happens to each one of you. I've watched you grow in maturity. I'll see you dread selling out to God. Dread it, dread it, don't want to sell out to God. And then all of a sudden you'll get a different perspective and you'll realize, oh, God has my best interest in mind. It's called maturity. And some of you are delaying it. So you have to go from, okay, God, I will quit being selfish, and I will do what you want me to do with my life. I will do what you want me to do with my life. I will sell out to you. 
that whatever it is that you're delaying or waiting on, that you come to the place that you say, like I did at age 17, I'll quit being a fool for myself and I'll be a fool for you, God. He took me up on it. He's made me <laughs> the equivalent. That he takes you and whatever it is that you're holding back on, keeping it for yourself, he will give you a perspective where you change it and you say, okay, I'll give it to you what I'm holding back from. Selah, have you done it? Why are you delaying? If you're delaying, you're immature. It's the sellout. It's the first thing that must happen. Everything is perspective. You have to learn to look at it through other people's shoes, namely God's. <laughs> You've got to switch and look at it. He is trying to give you his best. Actually, I think he might have a better future for you than you envision for yourself. I know you think that if you should sell out to God, that he has a missionary emissary that will take you immediately to Africa and I will put you in the worst hut with no potty in it. And you think that's what's going to happen to you if you sell out to God. It's you will be chained to me for the rest of your life. There'll be a leg chain that goes to my ankle. That's what most people think sell out looks like. I dare you to come. The water is warm. <laughs> it's safe in here. It's the sell out. It's the switching perspectives. You know, switching perspectives is everything. I remember one time I got lost in another country and I had to make a plane and everywhere I went there were signs written in chicken scratch. <laughs> I was the foreigner. No one spoke my language. I was in Tokyo and if you've ever been lost in Tokyo because I went to see Disneyland and thought I could do it two hours <laughs> and was headed back to the plane on my famous smuggling trip that literally the fear that I had of being lost in Tokyo has caused me never to be afraid of being lost in this country again. <laughs> it's perspective. My mom will get so nervous about being lost or missing a plane. I'm like, there's nothing like missing it in Tokyo compared to here. People speak my language. I can read the signs. I'm not scared. You know what? You need a more exciting life. You're afraid of small things. I need to take you out and let you see real fear and real problems. Like if you miss this flight because Malou's playing a head game with you, you're going to cause 30 people to miss five flights in a row and I'm going to have to deal with the airline of why we missed five different flights on the way home. Mm -hmm. That's what Malou did to me. Perspective. She kept me past the time my flight was leaving the country. And you know why she did? Because she watched the plane fly over and she knew the time. I went like an American following my itinerary. Perspective. Foreigners will give you a different perspective. Like there's different opinions in a wreck. The driver that ran the stoplight, the other person who they hit, the person walking down the road, they all have a different perspective of what happened, right? There's the perspective of the eyes of a child and the eyes of a parent. There's a perspective of the person who was robbed and the person who did the robbing. I feel differently about robbing you than you feel about being robbed from me. It's a different perspective. I went up to a lady at the rally and her purse was open and I filled all my trash in her purse. Now I have a different perspective of what I feel about putting my trash there and what she'll feel when she opens her purse. Perspective. Ooh, this doesn't make this fit very well. The golden rule, do it to others as you would have them do unto you. <laughs> that perspective. All right, so points of views. Could you be biased, prejudiced? Can race make people see things just one way? Can you get into a different person's perspective and see why they're seeing what they're seeing? Politics, the voter's guide, looking at it from a Christian perspective, the media, Proverbs 21.2, every man seems right in his own eyes until he's examined, until you're able to see it from another perspective. Y'all, I'm gonna tell you, this is what's gonna make the difference on perspective, is comparisons. In 1 Samuel 17, four through five, King Saul compared himself to Goliath, and he said, there's not a chance in the world I can beat him. But watch what David did. He compared Goliath to God, and said, there's not a chance I could lose. And that's the difference in your life. It's whether you're going to be comparing yourself to your problems 
are comparing your problems to God. He is so big, I can never kill him. Or he is so big, how could I miss him? Perspective. There was a pastor, and he got in a lot of trouble. They made a lot of fun of him. They said, um, you claim that you saw a 600-foot Jesus. We're laughing at you. You claim that Jesus is 600 feet tall. What had happened is he had built a hospital and it was failing financially. And the Lord came to him during the night and he showed that the Lord wrapped his hands around the hospital. So they measured the hospital and said he claimed to see a 600-foot Jesus. So when they got him in front of the news and they were making so much fun of him and saying, you silly guy saying that you see 600-foot Jesus, he said, I made a mistake saying that. He said, I was wrong. I shouldn't have said it. And they said, oh, you're recanting? And he goes, yes. He goes, he's much bigger. (laughs) (laughs) Y'all, that's the perspective on your problems. Parent Goliath to God. That literally, you've got to compare it to the right thing. He had a hospital problem that was failing, and he saw the size of the Lord. And he said, my mistake was, he's so much bigger. Perspective. In this season, that not putting your armor on and not crying out, it's going to make the worst possible conclusion. It's getting into deception that is so rampant, coming against you to steal, kill, and destroy. It's like you could lose your faith. It's worse than everything in your life going wrong. It's where you could actually break under the deception, lose your faith, lose your testimony, and collapse spiritually. And there's people that the enemy's desire is to cause you to completely collapse. It's a difficulty of knowing that a war is going on and not taking it lightly. Remember what they said at the voters rally yesterday, we're living in a rural community and we go, oh, everybody's voting for Christian values around me. Everyone I know is voting for it. But they said, you're not getting out and seeing what the big cities are doing. You're not getting out and seeing how many people have a different perspective than us. You're not getting out and seeing that, you know, we think, well, about everybody I know is saved. Everybody I know has heard the gospel. Y'all, there's whole windows of people that have never heard the gospel one time. You know, when John Douglas was in India, he said, there's this great guy called Jesus, and he was going to introduce him to Jesus, and the guys go, we would love to meet him. So John's fixing to lead him to the Lord, and they go, oh, no, we thought he was in the next village where we could go see him. That's how little they knew Jesus. It's a shift. It's a shift from negative reality to someone else's reality. In other words, you're living complacently, saying everything's going well for me. Everything's right. I'm doing well in school. I'm doing well in football. I'm doing well in everything that I do. But literally realizing there's another whole set of people that aren't doing well. Do you see how sometimes perspective switches you to negative? It's not always living in good feelings, but sometimes you have to switch to the reality of what the world's living in. It's switching the other way. So switching to the positive, bringing heaven to earth, playing offense. As Pat would tell me, you're either being a thermometer or you're being a thermostat. You're either having your temperature checked or you're setting the control of what the temperature is going to be. You're either shifting the environment at your place that you work or you're being a part of what the environment is around you. You have to come to the place that you shift the atmosphere. When everyone else is shaking, you make this shift. Let me tell you your verse, John 14, 12. It says, the miracles that Jesus did, you will do the same miracles. Y'all, honestly, that feels like heresy. To say, the miracles that Jesus did, I'm going to do. Yeah. The miracles that Jesus did, you will do. But you know God, it wasn't enough to stop there. It wasn't enough for him to say the miracles that Jesus did. You would think Jesus would say, it's blasphemy for you to even say that you could do the same miracles that I did. You would think you're claiming to be God. 
What are you doing? You're taking a position you should never take theologically. But look what he said. The miracles that I did, you shall do also. But he doesn't stop there. He goes, and even greater. What kind of humility does this God say? Go out and do more, do bigger, do greater. Can you imagine what kind of God we have that says this? You know, Jesus is saying, do you know when I multiplied the bread and made 5,000 loaves? You remember that story where he asked him, he says, how long have these people not eaten? They go three days. Now that's what happens when you go on a mission trip with me. Three days. And then I remember, I should feed them. That's John Douglas. He really did. He took people out and for three days he forgot to feed them. After three days, Jesus looks at it and says, we should feed them. Then Jesus says, Mark 8, 1, and also in Matthew 14, 15, can you do this miracle? Jesus asked them, can you do the miracle? And the disciples said, no, just send them home. And then Jesus said, no, you give them something to eat in verse 16. And then he changes the environment of hungry people to a miracle. He switched hunger to a miracle. Did you know in bad times we're going to have to learn how to do that, switch hunger to a miracle? You've read about orphanages, different places that have been able to do this. But look what happens. Immediately after the disciples witness 5,000 people being fed and getting little lunches, that they all get into a fight because someone forgot the bread. And they're screaming at each other, who forgot the bread? Who forgot the bread? Who forgot the bread? Sounds like one of us. Who forgot the bread? That was on your list. And then all of a sudden, Jesus said, there's something more important that's been forgotten than the bread, and that's you forgot what I just did. (laughs) And so verse 17, he gives them a switch of perspectives. And he lets them have it. This is Mark 8, 1 through 21. Did you know that the... This is a perfect example of what you're supposed to be doing in life, taking your problems and switching them. He's telling you he did the miracle so you would learn a lesson. And we're more mad over something we forget than the fact we forgot he did a miracle. We're supposed to be learning from our last problem that he sought. In the face of great evil, in the face of terrible times, it's all about perspective. It's like in the military... One of the worst things that you can see happen is in Psalm 91.7. It says, the day you see a thousand fall by your side and 10,000 by your right hand. It's a horrible shift to see people laying in piles, falling down. Did you know that could be the environment where most people are not going to make it? Most people, their faith won't endure. Most people, something will go wrong with them. Psalm 91, 7, a thousand will fall. How do you prepare for this? And Steph made this quote. She said, you won't hear me say this much. But she said, this is where men's perspective is actually better because of their perspective. I said, tell me how that is. She said, because a man will compartmentalize. And in wartime, a man can put everything aside and do his job. Certain brains can do it. It tends to be more masculine. It's a perspective. A man's mind will sit there and he'll wall off something so he can handle something else. Women hate it when men compartmentalize. They shouldn't do it with her. (laughs) But in wartime, it works. General Kahalani had a moment when all the tanks were being blown up. Would you want to put your tank up next to the Syrian tanks when they were blowing you up and it would catch you on fire and you'd burn up in a tank? Can you imagine how that felt to watch your buddies get shot? And so you're sitting there saying, that's my best friend. He compartmentalized. These were his best men. And they said Kahalani kept his voice very calm and he told the men, Turn your tanks around. Do not run and keep firing. We cannot lose this ground. The reason they have their Golan Heights today is because Kahalani compartmentalized, kept his voice calm, and kept telling his men, don't give up, and God came through. Y'all, there's times you have to tell yourself, don't run. Don't run. The scripture is, my eyes won't behold terror. You know this about yourself. 
Part of perspective is telling yourself, this is not the time to do this. This is not the time to run. That you have to be training for this. Assessing the situation. Now you have to be prepared. Right now is the time for you to find yourself agreement people. People that will say, I'll agree with you in prayer. Now's the time to find your joy. Agreement, relationship, secured. Stay in the word. Stay in worship. Stay in prayer. Gaining the heavenly perspective. Getting the mind of Christ on things. Actually overcoming and not surviving. If you're getting through your days and going, oh my gosh, I barely got through that test. Instead of consciously thinking, wow, I wonder if I can turn this test into a testimony and give God glory. These are the things where you prepare yourself. How do you maintain this? Ephesians 6 says, when you've done everything you know to do, stand. Matthew 24, 13, those who endure to the end will be sozoed, saved. How do you prepare yourself for instability if you lose your job, not enough to eat, danger around you, not knowing who to trust? You get in the flow. You get a perspective shift. You get high on the convergence and saying, the Lord's going to, he's going to cause it all to work together for my good. You think on the miraculous. Jude 1.24, for God is able to keep me from stumbling and is able to make me stand. Being able to go on and do needs to be done and accomplish God's purpose. Enduring perspective. Dropping deeper in our spirit. Separating the natural from the spiritual and shifting to God's intention. God's point of view versus our point of view. God shows you another path. You get to the point where everything is about eternity. You know, Corey Tim Boone said there's nothing that will get your perspective different than living in a hundred yards of a gas chamber. It will completely change you. What's going to stack up in eternity? Isaiah 55, 8 says God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. The mission field will straighten out your perspective. The priority of people in your life, people dying, people going to hell, people starving, desperately in need of what you've got. It puts things in perspective, and it makes your personal trivial things not seem so big to you. So in ending, ending this, in keeping up with playing offense, when everyone else is thinking survival around you, the ability is for us to take something evil and turn it for good. Overcoming is God's nature. And y'all, the last verse in Revelation, and it says, To him who overcomes, that he will sit on the throne of the great overcomer. I would have never believed it. Is that verse really in the Bible? That it says if you're an overcomer on earth, your position in heaven will be to sit on his throne with the one who's the greatest overcomer? In Revelation 22, 5, and it says, we will sit down with the great overcomer on his throne and we will reign with him forever and ever and ever. Is it difficult? Does it take perseverance? Is it worth studying these verses out? You pull this off and God says, you'll sit with me on my throne for eternity. Amen. Amen.